Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. I want to ask you a question. You ever been at a job place where you had a really terrible co-worker? <laughs> I mean, just a bad guy. I see y'all laughing like, oh yeah, I've been there. And they're really doing a terrible, literally a bad job. It's not just a bad job, but it's affecting other people. And it affects the whole company. What happens to that guy that does that? Typically, they're fired. They get let go. And somebody has to come in and replace them. Well, that's what I'm going to call First Samuel 2 today is you're fired. <laughs> you're fired. Because uh, some things are going wrong. And God's got to get in there and, and make some changes. Now, Hannah, it's going to start off with Hannah's poetic prayer because we saw in the previous chapter, she prayed for a son, says, I'll give them to you, Lord God, and he gave her one. And she's got this poetic prayer here in chapter two. And what's neat about this prayer that she does is that it is so messianic in its character that even Mary, the mother of Jesus, later uses Hannah's words here in her own song of triumph in Luke chapter one. So what's neat about this is that People in the Bible have reflected back to Hannah's prayer to express their own victory through impossibilities. That's what I think is nice about what we're about to, to read here coming up is that even Mary refers back to this. So in 1 Samuel 2, uh, 1 Samuel 2, 1, I was going to say 1 Samuel 2, chapter 1. No, 1 Samuel chapter 2. There we go. See, it's the, the first, the one, one and the two, and the three and the four. Okay. <laughs> first Samuel chapter two, verse one, Hannah's prayer. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Now, what enemies do you think she's talking about smiling at here? Who, who do we, who were we introduced to in the previous chapter? That was Panina. I, I want to say Panini because I was at the coffee shop the other day and they have these Paninis that are real good. So if I'm messing it up, I don't know. I'm going to call her Panina. Pa, pa, it may be Panina. I don't know. I'm not Hebrew. I'm Texan. I'm redneck. Pa, Panina. Panina was just giving her trouble, just provoking her. And this smiling at her, it's not a cocky smile. It's like, <laughs> God gave me kids now. It wasn't that. It wasn't a sarcastic kind of a smile. This is a smile of nothing but pure, genuine happiness. Have you ever gotten like that, where you were so happy with the salvation you were given in the Lord that even the people that just irk you to no end, you can smile at them? Like, you really don't bother me anymore. <laughs> Those people that used to bother you, they ought to not bother you when you consider what you've been offered in salvation. It's a happy uh, smile, a joy in the Lord's salvation smile. 
And that's all it is. Hannah has no hatred. She has no grudge, no dislike towards anyone. She's not gossiping about Panina. She says, I'm smiling at them. I'm smiling. I'm showing them I'm happy so that maybe they'll catch it. Maybe they'll be happy too. I don't have any ill feelings about them. Now, one thing I like to watch on TV sometimes, of course, the newer ones are getting weird, but I like to watch Star Trek. I like watching Star Trek. Whenever the bad guy ship shows up and he poses a threat, the captain says, shields up. And they put the shields up and that other ship fires and, and the, 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 the security officer reports, shields are holding, okay? And as long as the shields are holding up, nothing hurts the ship while the shields are up. Hannah's joy and salvation is like a shield that keeps hostility from hurting her. If you're getting hurt, if somebody's hurting you, and you let them hurt you, maybe your shields need to go up in the joy of your salvation and think there that nothing nobody ever says could really actually hurt you. I get it. I know that people can hurt with their words. Hannah has been through this, but she has made a decision that what these people have said and done to me, I am going to prioritize my salvation, joy in the Lord higher than what people say to me. Trust me, there's a million times I've wanted to quit what I'm doing now as a pastor. Any pastor that says, no, I've never thought about quitting is lying to you. They all think about quitting. Somebody always says something that hurts them. Somebody always does something. The world does it or whatever. It's always going to happen. What I have to keep doing, because I can relate to what Hannah's doing here, I have to remember what I have been given in the Lord God and go with that and not what everybody says to me. I can't let that in. I have to say, you know what? I've got the Lord. I've got, he's my, he's my God. He has given me eternal life. I'm going to keep it there. That's where I'm going to keep my, my thoughts. And that's what Hannah's doing. And so she can smile at her enemies. And she said, my horn is exalted in the Lord. What does that mean? (laughs) My horn is exalted in the Lord. Well, animal horns, animal horns are used for fighting and protection. I've worked on a ranch. You make a bull mad, he's going to use them horns on you. That's his strength. It's his dominance. It is what he fights with. It's power. It's his victory, his horns. And so often scriptures mention of a horn is a literary symbol that represents power, potency, and protection. So what she said here is my strength My protection and my security are exalted. They are raised up. My horn is exalted. My protection and my security and the power that I have are raised up in the Lord. Friends, with joy like this, who on earth has the power to penetrate your shields with negative words? If you really have your joy in what the Lord has given you, really nobody can say anything that's going to hurt you. And Christians, you need to expect the fact that the world is going to hurt you. They're going to deliberately try to find fault in you. They're going to see something wrong with you. You know what's wrong with you, okay? You know what your flaws are and what your weaknesses are. And it's really a, it really hurts when somebody looks at you and goes, Aha, uh-huh, I see that weakness and they fire They're going to do that. Jesus said persecution will come. He didn't say it might. He said it will. Okay? So it's coming. But what do you do about it? 
Remember that your horn is exalted in the Lord. Your strength, your power, your potency, your defense, that is lifted up in the Lord God. And so when people do this to you, you can make a decision. You're either going to let them hurt you, or you're going to do what Hannah says and say, you know what, I'm just going to smile at my enemies because the Lord has lifted me up. You see what she's done? Thank you, Lord. I'm so glad to read this because I can go a long way with this. This can take me a long way in my life, and I hope it takes you a long way too. Those people are out there. They're probably doing it to you now. What have they got against what the Lord has? They will talk bad about you, but so what? You have the joy of salvation, or you should. First Samuel 2, verse 2. She continues, she says, no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. A rock is a foundation. Verse three, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. Now, y'all watch this one, guys. This will shock you. Verse 6, the Lord kills. Y'all see that? I see it. It says it. The Lord kills. No, he doesn't do that. It's in the Bible. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. Wow, Hannah. (laughs) She's talking back to like the beginnings of creation here. The Lord set the earth on its foundations. He built all this. So in other words, he can take down who he wants to and lift up who he wants to. So it's best you don't talk proud because he'll do that. (laughs) But God demonstrates his power in human affairs. That's something I want us to realize. He brings people down and he raises people up. Right now with what's going on in the news is how, and how scary it is, do not forget that the Lord God is able to put down what he wants to put down and raise up what he wants to raise up. Don't let that news media scare you. I know what's going on out there is a mess. But God can take these, these high and mighty people and put them down. And so he demonstrates his power within human affairs to both the godly and the ungodly. He brings some up, he puts others down. And Hannah uses her own life to explain this. She has experience in this. If you look at verse 5, she said, even the barren has borne seven. Now, what was Hannah's problem in chapter 1? She was barren. Now, what is she saying? She's saying the barren has borne seven. What do you think God did for her? Now, as far as we know, she asked for a son and she got Samuel. What's happened since then? She's had more children. (laughs) He gave her many more children after Samuel. And she said, also, she who has had many children has become feeble. That means sick, bad health. Apparently, something happened to Panina to where she went down in bad health. You see how they traded places in in status here. But this is what pride will do to you. Panina was prideful. I've got kids and you don't. 
I'm better than you. And she just provoked her all the time. Well, now it's kind of changed places. God brings down the arrogant who think they're above everybody else. You ever have those people that say that I'm better than you? Boy, I've had it. And they talk down on you, I guess, because they got to feel better about themselves or something. So they, they cut you down. Okay? God has a way of dealing with them. Just smile. You've got salvation in God. Don't let them hurt you. <laughs> it shouldn't hurt you. Look at verse 7. This I'm better than you attitude even comes along with money. Because typically the people who are rich, they just assume they're better than everybody else anyway. Verse 7. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. Who makes you rich? You. God does it. Who made you poor? Society. God did that. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. You're not the one that made that money. I hate to say it. No, actually, I like to say it. But I hate that you're going to have to wrestle with this. The fact that, oh, I'm so rich. I'm high and mighty. All my prestige, my ambition. Look what I've done. I climbed that corporate ladder. You may have, but who let you climb the corporate ladder? God did that. That money is not yours. That's not for you to brag about. God gave it to you. Scripture literally says, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. You don't do that. He does it. And I know you like to pride yourself and look what I have done, but then that's the pride that's going to bring you down. Look at the money I have made. I'm so rich and powerful. That's what the rich people do. You did not make that money. I always bring it up. If you look up, jot down a note for Ecclesiastes 2 verse 26. If you look up Ecclesiastes 2 26, it says that God gives willful sinners the work of gathering and collecting so that they have to end up giving it all over to those who are good before God. To the believer, you need finances, you need money, you need things. Don't worry about that. God can give it to you. He's got sinners out there gathering it up right now. And in some kind of way, God's going to humble them. He's going to squash them. And they're going to spit that money off to the side because they can't hold it under the pressure of God. And some of it might fall in your lap. Pray it. God will do what he wants to do with it. But it's not your job to pursue the money. God will take care of that. So he makes some collectors and gatherers. Those are the willful sinners. The work of gathering and collecting so they can give it to you. So you don't need to worry about money. The reason that you're... Rich, if you are, is not because you're better than other people, but because God made you a collector. Those that are rich, lots of money, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're a sinner. There are righteous, rich people out there, but God made you a collector for his purpose, to give to whoever God chooses you to give to. That's not being above anybody. When you realize that perspective, you're not above no one. Well, I've got more money. That's just your job to be a collector. When you're made to be a collector to give it to the people God wants you to give it to, actually you are serving them under God because you're having to give your money to whoever the Lord wants you to. The Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. So be very careful about whatever your status does to affect your attitude. Don't boast in what the Lord can easily take away from you. I used to have a lot of things at one time. The Lord took it all away. But I was an unbeliever, and he was trying to call me to do better things. He, I had no idea he was calling me to be a pastor, but he took everything I had away. 
And I hated him for it. I was mad at him. I shook my fist at God. But the things I had that I was priding in was not helping me understand who he was. So he took it. And then I was humbled and thank God I woke up. But anyway, the Lord can take those things away. Don't boast. Hannah is offering her life as an example. Look what happened between me and Panina. Smile at your enemies. Don't worry about them. You've got salvation in the Lord. Now I could make a whole sermon on that alone but let's move on first samuel 2 and 9 he will guard the feet of his saints but the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength no man shall prevail the adversaries of the lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven he will thunder against them the lord will judge the ends of the earth he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed wow I think the closing of Hannah's prayer here is actually got a prophecy in it, if you look at it, or you could call it a prophetic announcement. It's it's prophetic. It's speaking of something to come. The Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the horn, the strength of his anointed. Who is the the Lord's anointed here? Is this Jesus or David? That's my first thought is Jesus and David. I had to look a little bit though. Now, I will tell you, this does allude to a picture of Jesus. So you're not exactly wrong, but more specifically, if you will look up Psalm 89 and 20, I think I have it. Psalm 89 and 20. Here's where this prophetic word comes true. It says, I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established Also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. Now Hannah could be talking about David, but even if she is, her words are still prophetic and that Messiah Jesus would come from David's prophetic line. And so either way, it still works. I heard some of y'all go, Jesus. Okay, she's kind of getting at David here, but the line of David does go towards Jesus. So you're still right. (laughs) It still works. I think it's very possible that King David is foretold here as well as King Jesus down the line. Now, when you think about it, it's no wonder that Mary referred back to Hannah's prayer when Jesus was expected, right? Awesome. 1 Samuel 2 and 11. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Okay, so now we're back into the story here. You know, we jumped ahead a little bit. We went prophetic. We found out that Hannah had more children. Now we're back in the story where Samuel was old enough to be left alone in Shiloh to begin his training under Eli the priest. Remember, Eli is the guy that heard Hannah's prayer to God to give her a son, and he said she was drunk. Because she was speaking with her mouth moving, but she wasn't vocalizing it. And he thought she was drunk. There's a little something off about Eli here. (laughs) So now we know that Hannah had other children after Samuel. Just because the Lord can. How many children did she ask for? She asked for one. And she says, if you give me one, I'll give them to you in service. And now she's had more. Just because the Lord can. So what we see here is where Samuel is positioned to do the Lord's service. But as always, Satan always tries to make a mess wherever God starts a plan. 
Wherever God's getting something going, Satan jumps in and he's trying to, to mess things up. Why do you think the Lord allows that? You think it's like, well, Satan comes in, oh, I didn't see that coming. No, because the Lord wants to show you his absolute authority over evil. Okay? So Satan comes in to mess it up. And here we go again. It's the same old, same old, just like Adam and Eve. Satan pops in and, try, and starts to mess things up. Well, here we go again. In this case in Samuel. Samuel's a young child, and now we got evil in, in the picture as well. In 1 Samuel 2 and 12, the wicked sons of Eli. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord." Okay, they're misusing the, the, the animal meat sacrifices. They're trying to take choice cuts. Here's what's happening. Now, chapter 1 gave us the name of Eli's sons. They were, uh, uh, I believe it's Hophni and Phinehas. Now, verse 12 should really grab your attention from what I saw here. Verse 12, it says, they did not know the Lord. Do you see that? Priests. They are priests, they are working in ministry, they are in the tabernacle doing the work, and they don't even know the Lord at all. That's scary. What an astonishing thing to find that there are people who actually serve in positions, official positions of ministry, and they're not even believers. You ever considered the fact that this goes on, even today? How did they even get there? Two reasons I can see. First of all, We need to be reminded of what the social climate was like back then in that period of history. What was it like? If we look at a point in history that came right before this time, some of you may remember in Judges 21 and 25, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the climate that's going on in this day and age right here. Without a king to establish governance, without any righteous standard that has been established, people are going to do whatever they want. And that's what we see happening in the the world today. People are trying to strip down authority. They're trying to strip down the standard so they can do whatever they want. It's lawlessness. That's what it's called. And these two priests had no accountability to any authority. And so Hophni and Phinehas, they did whatever they wanted to. In this case, they went so far as to take for themselves the choice meats of the sacrifice animals, which belong to the Lord's offering. That's the Lord's offering. And they're going to go and try to demand, I will take by force the parts I want. 
And what's even worse than that, what we're going to see shortly in in upcoming uh, scriptures is that these two guys, these two priests, by the way, they were engaged in fornication and they were doing it in the tabernacle. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.